Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the FearCast. So for any new listeners out there, this is a podcast that is for people who are trying to seek information about OCD and anxiety, about treatment, um, and uh, or family members and loved ones trying to learn a little bit more about these uh, disorders and uh, and how to treat them and maybe how to how to be better supporters of their loved ones who may have OCD and other anxiety disorders. So if you want to know more about this or listen to other episodes, you can always find us online at fearcastpodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, uh, ask questions that I'll answer on future episodes, as this is a question-and-answer-based podcast. Um, so you can give me a call for in future episodes by calling 714-594-9281, and you can leave me a message there. You can also send me a message online through uh, the website by going to the Submit a Question link at fearcastpodcast.com. I review all the questions, and uh, I will answer them on future episodes. So as a reminder, this, uh, uh, this episode is coming out a week before the uh, OCD Awareness Week. So OCD Awareness Week is October 7th through the 13th here in the States and probably all, all over the world. Um, so uh, this is a great week to learn a little bit more about others' experience with OCD or, or even to share your own story about what OCD really is. So there are a bunch of hashtag campaigns on all forms of social media, such as uh, hashtag RealOCD and hashtag OCDWeek. You may also be able to find some local gatherings to meet uh, to meet other folks with OCD. Uh, for example, if you live here in Southern California, as I do, um, OCD SoCal will be meeting uh, in three different places. We're going to be meeting in LA and Orange County and uh, San Diego. Uh, I'm going to be going to the Orange County one. Uh, if you want to meet some other folks locally, um, you can, and you're in Southern California, you can go to one of those places. You can find a little bit more information about that online. Um, the IOCDF, uh, the International OCD Foundation, uh, also has more information on finding these local gatherings. Um, and uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes at uh, fearcastpodcast.com. So in the spirit of OCD week, I wanted to go over... Um, wanted to go over a way that you could possibly tell your family members or friends or coworkers um, that you have OCD. So uh, you have heard a zillion times out there, I'm so OCD. Um, you know, online or on TV shows or in movies, there's all these misconceptions and, and uh poor portrayals of what it means to be anxious or what it means to have OCD, and it can wear on people. Um, OCD week um, is a great time to to essentially um, come out as OCD, to share with other people what your experience has been, uh, and to dispel some, um, uh, some misinformation or some stereotypes that perhaps aren't true, and also to share just what your experience has been so you can you can let others know you a little bit more and to show others that OCD is not just uh, 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 this one thing, but is this myriad of, of things. Uh, and also that, uh, that people, with, uh, people who have OCD and anxiety are more than just that. They are your brother and cousin and coworker and um, best friend. Uh, they are engineers and scientists and teachers and... Uh, uh, they're, they're everybody. It's not just this one person who's washing their hands a zillion times. It's, it's maybe someone you know, someone who has thoughts, uh, someone who has anxieties that uh, uh, they're really able to hide. 
So I wanted to talk a little bit about one way that you might be able to share this with somebody. So I wanted to go over a, uh, actually I'm using the outline from a talk that I gave uh, at the IOCDF conference a couple of years ago with uh, one of my colleagues, Laura Yoakum. Um, so this uh, talk was called uh, Coming Out as OCD. So we're going to go over, I'm just going to try to keep this brief. We're going to go over the who, what, where, when, why, and how of telling someone you have OCD. So we called it coming out as OCD and, and kind of making the obvious equation with uh, uh, coming out with your sexual orientation because sometimes it feels like sharing your, um, your diagnosis is such a, an impossible and private and exposing situation or, 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 uh, or thing about you. Um, and so often that, um, that those of us with anxiety can fake it. We can pass. We can uh, make it seem as if you know we're we're, we're like everybody else, um, but privately we have uh, these anxieties and fears. So why should you tell someone? Why would you ever tell someone? One thing to think about is what you're trying to get out of it. Now there are some good reasons to share it. One is to make a better bond with your family. Another is sharing personal experiences with your loved ones, again, so they can get to know you a little better. About uh, Another way is promoting an understanding of what OCD is, maybe helping under, uh, others understand um, kind of what you've been doing, maybe some of your behaviors that they have uh, caught you in, or uh, maybe some of the reasons that you haven't been doing things. Another, another good reason is to remove some shame, because OCD is not a terrible thing about you. Having OCD really isn't that bad, though we tend to stigmatize it and say it's, it, it, it's the worst thing, or we fear that other people are going to think it's the worst thing. Now, there are some bad reasons, of course. One of the bad reasons to share uh, your diagnosis as OCD is as a compulsion. In other words, uh, telling someone you have OCD so you can get out of doing something, or uh, as, uh, as reason to continue to do your compulsions. Another is a bad reason is to try to uh, finagle another therapist in your life. So in other words, uh, sharing so that you can get your friend or loved one uh, to hold you accountable, whereas that's your therapist's job. Another is as an excuse for odd behavior or unnecessary avoidances or needing sympathy and kind of backwards validation kind of get everyone to say it's going to be okay. I know this is tough and you know you don't have to do this and uh so those are some good and and some bad reasons about why you would share. Now, who would you tell this to? One of the first things to consider in who you should tell is to consider who are the safe people in your life. Obviously, there are going to be some people who are going to need to know more than others. But in terms of Thinking about who the safe people are, these are going to be the people who are, uh, who are supportive, who are encouraging, and who are accepting of you and of other people, just these accepting people. Um, we're going to be looking who are safe people. These are people who are non-judgmental. They're understanding of you. They're open-minded or they're empathetic. So who are the unsafe people? Unsafe people are going to be people who don't recognize OCD as a disorder. These are the just-stop people. You know these people. These are the folks who just say, well, just stop washing your hands or stop worrying about that. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients uh, tell me that their families say, let's just stop worrying about that. Actually, I had a client once who told me that a previous therapist said, why are you worrying about that? Just stop. As if it was so easy, right? 
So these are some of the unsafe people. Some other unsafe people, those who have little or no respect for mental health. People who are kind of mental health deniers. We might know who these people are. These are the people who just say, you know, just kind of get over it, or uh, you should change your diet. Another group of people, gossips. People who are just going to share the information all over the place. So we, we also need to be cautious then about where we're sharing this, but we'll, we'll get to that. But remember, this story is your story to tell. So we want to be finding people who are going to be respectful of your privacy. Because it's your right to control the flow of information, obviously, as best we can. But it's something to remember that unsafe people might be people who are gossips. There are also going to be um, people who are going to share by necessity. So meaning these are people who, who ought to know because it's, uh, our symptoms might impact their life a little bit more than others. People we might tell um, are going to be coworkers in which um, our anxieties might impact their life a little bit, or loved ones who it's going to impact their life a little bit more. So it's possible that your employer is going to be one of those people you might want to share with. It's possible, it's probable that uh, a, a loved one or a family member uh, is, is most likely to be impacted in some way by your anxieties. So you might want to consider, is that a person who is, again, safe to tell, is someone who's going to be accepting of hearing this information, but is also someone who needs to know because of the proximity to you and how they might be affected as well. To kind of keep them updated. Maybe to keep them aware about uh, what your exposures might be, or that uh, uh, there are some compulsions that you might do so that they're not going to get thrown off or surprised or scared, especially when it might come to um, some of the uh, uh, um, exposures for some of the more exotic uh, manifestations of OCD, the ones that uh, uh, can scare uh, some people. So sometimes it's the harm stuff that's going to scare people. Sometimes it's going to be, be the POCD stuff that's going to scare people. So letting some of those folks know might be helpful. These people in proximity to us might also catch us in a compulsion. So again, family members being in close proximity, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, these people might catch us in it, so therefore they might need to know. Another person to share with is, and I hope this is obvious, uh, doctors and therapists. It's helpful to tell them, especially when it comes to medication you're taking. So another thing to consider is when to disclose. Deciding on when to tell somebody you have OCD can be as difficult as, as who or, or even what to say. So when we think about when we're going to tell somebody, um, we, we tell people information about ourselves, intimate information about ourselves, slowly. When they get to know us and when they've earned the right to know, we don't tell people on the first date. Oftentimes that can throw people off. It can be overwhelming to somebody. And we also have no idea if they have proven themselves to be safe or reliable. I think that's the most important aspect of it. But as we get to know somebody and we find out who they are, how they respond to little bits of information about us, so, for example, those, those tiny bits of information about um, our past or, you know, an embarrassing thing that happened to us in the past. We find out if that person responds to us in a judgmental way or if they just take that information and spread it all over the place um, out of our control. Um, that is going to be something that um, might uh, exclude them 
from learning this new information about you. In terms of when to tell people, we can also try to find a time, if you're doing it one-on-one, to ask them if they have time to chat, if they have time to, to hear some of this information um, and to really process this with you, as opposed to um, uh, throwing it at them as you're leaving the house or um, in the last five minutes or two minutes of a conversation. Um, we want to have enough time to be able to sit down, make sure that they are um, you know, not distracted by something else, um, but can actually chat about what's, what's on your mind. It'll maybe be a time for you to answer any of their questions. Because likely speaking, if this is the first time they've heard about this, they might have some questions. So you may also want to consider how much you want to share with somebody. Some of this is going to depend on the type of relationship that you would like to have with this person, uh, specifically what sort of role you would like them to have um, after you share this information with them. So there are three different roles that, you, that somebody else can now take uh, once they learn about uh, your OCD. So it's supporter, the coach or co-therapist, and just a bystander. You think about the supporter. The supporter is the cheerleader. They're the listening ear. It can be your spouse. Your spouse can be your supporter. Now, they're not enabling you, but they're just, uh, they're just encouraging you. Now, the second is the coach or the co-therapist. This person is, uh, is going to assist you in treatment, so they're going to help identify your setbacks. They're going to help problem solve. Uh, they're going to offer feedback, things like that. Um, now, this is someone who's really more active uh, in, in your progress, in your treatment. Now, um, if you don't have a therapist, this is a role that you might want a loved one to take at times. Um, Especially when you're just getting started, you might need a little bit more support and encouragement in that way. But we also need to remember not to expect other people to take on these roles. My basic position on this is your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife should be just that. Just your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, not your therapist. So their job isn't necessarily to call you out. Now, if they want to take on a little bit of that responsibility and they want to um, stand side by side with you and that, that, that's great. However, to expect them to now take on this big old role um, is a bit unfair. So remember that uh, sharing some of this information and some of your expectations you have about this is also going to be part of this conversation. Now, the last is the bystander. This is the person who's not going to comment. It's not going to interact with you or your treatments at all. Essentially, we're telling the bystander that we have um, OCD simply um, so they don't overreact or they're not going to make assumptions during treatment or, uh, or with spikes in our anxiety. So these people are oftentimes going to be like our roommates or perhaps our coworkers, so they're not going to freak out, or they're not going to get exceptionally worried, or they're not going to uh, jump to conclusions. They'll say, oh, this is, this is part of it. They told me about this. Yeah. Now, they can also can encourage you, but again, part of that conversation to consider. Now, where should you share this information? Should you share it on Facebook? Should you share it on Instagram? Should you share it in text? Or sharing it face-to-face? This is definitely something to consider, especially um, knowing how public some of these uh, uh, methods are. So think about the person you're going to share this with 
and the type of person that you are. Are you someone who's a, an open book? Everybody can know everything about you and you're completely fine with it. If you are, that's fantastic. In which case, sharing through a hashtag uh, OCD awareness is going to be something for you. You might want to share on Facebook and social media and, 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 and Twitter and, and all those uh, to let the world know. You might be more private. You might be someone who wants to tell just one person face-to-face, be very personal. And with the differences between these, face-to-face is going to allow you a lot more opportunities to have a back and forth and a conversation about what you've experienced and what you're going through. The social media approach is going to be less back and forth. You might not get any responses. You might get a ton of responses. So that's certainly something to consider in how you want to share, but that's also a very personal decision. Now, before we share this information, you should also prepare yourself and have reasonable expectations for what you might, you might get. Now, you've thought about who the safe people are. You've thought about who the, the unsafe people are. You've thought about how you're going to do it, in what venue, in what method. You've thought about how much detail you're going to share. But... We can only control so much. All we control, all we can control, as we've talked about, is ourself and our responses and our actions. So we need to prepare ourselves to know that when we share, it might go great. The person might go, oh my gosh, that explains so much about you. Thank you so much for telling me. I, I really feel like I, I know you more now. Now, some people who we think are safe might not be that. And we're taking a risk in doing this, but we're taking a risk for the hopeful benefit of getting to, uh, of, of sharing and, and building this relationship or, or dispelling some rumors or uh, educating others. But some people who we think are safe might end up to not be safe. Also, I highly encourage you to be prepared for their stories and their experiences and misconceptions and stereotypes. So uh, my example of this is the motorcycle stories. So um, for those of you who have never ridden a motorcycle, I'm sure if I told you I used to ride a motorcycle in college, you're about to tell me how dangerous motorcycle driving is, or about that one person you knew who rode a motorcycle and they died that one time, or fill in the blank. If I tell you that I rode a motorcycle, it's inevitable that someone else, the other person, is now going to share all their disastrous and weird motorcycle stories. This can be the same. If you share a little bit about your OCD, likely speaking, they're going to share about their uncle who has OCD, or that thing they saw on TV about OCD, or they're going to talk to you about, they're going to want to talk to you about Monk, or they're going to want to talk to you about as good as it gets. So. Be prepared that those things may happen. It's actually a great time to then share about then what, what OCD is, maybe your OCD and anxieties are, and how it differs from those other examples that they just shared. Now, sometimes some of my clients will ask me to share with their family members about what OCD is and to educate them. Because we don't really have a lot of examples in the media of existential OCD or HOCD or... Um, or, you know, harm OCD. What do we see? We see contamination and we see hit and run OCD. We see that a lot. So a lot of people don't have a baseline about what it is and then how to think about it. 
So this is the example that I give, and you can talk with your family members about it. So first, you're going to approach a family member. If this, if you want to do it in person, you can approach them and say, hey, do you have a moment to chat? And they might say, yeah, in which case you can go into it. If they say, oh, you know, I'm really busy right now, I'm, I'm thinking about this other thing, check in with them at another time. Now, let's say that they have some time to talk. You might want to say, hey, I wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, something I've been going through or this struggle I have or... And you can acknowledge that this is an uncomfortable conversation. You can say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I'm kind of nervous to tell you. I haven't really told a whole lot of people. Um, it's, not, it's not something crazy. It's not something out there. It's just, um, you know, I'm nervous. I don't really talk to a whole lot of people about this. And then try to make a comparison. Now, when telling people about your, your OCD, it can be really helpful to use a comparison, an analogy. because. Everyone out there has some baseline understanding of what OCD is. So a great way to do that is to use their current understanding of it. So the simplest one that I can think of, and I think the one that most people uh, have been exposed to, is the contamination aspect of it. Now, if this is you, this is going to be super easy. If it's not you, hear me out. All right. So you're going to go up to someone and say, hey, have you heard about OCD? They're going to say yes. You say, okay, well, what is it to you? And once they've shared their aspect or what they know about it, you can validate what they already know about it if it's kind of accurate, and then do some corrections where they're wrong. But you can use the example of contamination. You can say, uh, well, the person who's contaminated, um, why are they washing their hands a lot? They'll say, well, because they think they're dirty. And then you'll say, are they? And they'll say, well, no, but they think they're dirty, so they wash their hands all the time. You say, well, are they washing their hands because they like doing it, or are they washing it uh, for some other reason? They'll say, well, I don't think they'll like it. And you can say, yeah, they, they, they don't like it, but they do it over and over and over again. Then you can say, well, they're washing their hands because they think that they are dirty, but ultimately you and I know that they're not actually dirty, but they think they are. So... And, and they're afraid that then if they don't wash their hands, something terrible might happen. They might get sick. They might contract some sort of disease. But we both know that they're not actually sick or that they're, not act- or that they're unlikely to actually get that disease. But they don't think that, so they wash their hands over and over and over again. And then you could say, I'm kind of like that too. I have a fear. I have a thought in my head that says uh, this about me. If I do this, then this will happen. If I don't do this, this will happen. If I don't wash my hands, I'm going to get sick. If I don't drive back home exactly the same way as I did before, I might find out that I've actually run someone over and killed them. If I don't look at a guy immediately after I look at a woman, it might be proof that I'm a lesbian. If I hold a knife around my wife, I'm probably going to kill her because I'm a violent person. You can say, that's not me. I don't want to do those things. But my brain says that I have to do those things, or I can't do all these other things. I know in my most rational mind that that's not me, but sometimes I get afraid that that is what's going to happen. Now, sometimes that's going to lead me to do some things that are going to make me feel safe, and you might think doesn't make any sense, but in the moment, I feel like I have to do this. Now, it can also be things like emetophobia, fears of throwing up. I'm afraid that if I eat this food, I'll throw up. 
And if I throw up, that might be a sign of a greater illness. That might be a sign that I'm going to continue to throw up and I'm not going to be able to keep anything down. Or I'm going to throw up and other people are going to make fun of me or they're going to not want to be around me. And if that's you, you could say, I know that vomiting isn't the end of the world, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of it. So you can think about how you can use this analogy to start comparing your anxieties in that if, then, or what if sort of fear, and talk about the, the obsessive thought, how that makes you feel uncomfortable, and then what your compulsion is, because remember, that's all OCD is, is that cycle. The obsession leading to anxiety, followed by a compulsion, followed by reassurance and reinforcing the initial thought. So this is one way that you can share with other people about your anxieties, and then that opens up a further conversation about how it impacts you, how it impacts the other person, what you've done to try to work on it, what are some limitations you feel you have, and what are some things that you'd like to accomplish, and and also how that person you're sharing with can help you out or help support you in some sort of way. So take some time if you feel so inclined to share this week or during OCD week about who you'd want to share with, what might you say, how much you feel that you want to say. Because also, not everybody needs to know everything. You can simply say, sometimes I get afraid of things and then I avoid them. Period. Some people don't need to know more than that. For some, all we need to say is, hey, I have OCD, and leave it at that. Now, they might have a lot of questions, and they might jump to conclusions, but we don't need to share every detail about our anxiety, every detail about our OCD, all the time. Lastly, if you feel that you want to share, if you want to bring up the courage to share this week, what I want you to think about is, what I want you to remember is that OCD isn't everything of who you are. Your anxiety is just a part of who you are, a part of the grand constellation that makes you, you. Yes, you are partially this, this anxiety disorder, but you are also a cousin, a brother, a sister, a daughter, a grandmother. You are um, you're an engineer, you're a teacher, you're a firefighter, you are a police officer, you are a student. You are all of these things. and. One of them is someone who has anxiety. That's fine. Now, we have a fear sometimes that that is going to become everything of who we are. Now, for some of us, we like that identity, and we take on that identity, and that's certainly up to you, and there are pros and cons to that, I suppose. But if you have a fear that all you are is now going to be the girl with OCD, or you're going to be the guy who's anxious... I'd encourage you to remind yourself about all the other things that you are and to roll it out as this is just part of who you are. This is just a little bit, not everything. Some people might put you in that box. Now, we don't really have any control over those people, but you can remind them that you are more than that. And furthermore, remind them if this is somebody who you're talking to and they're trying to put you in that box, of all the things that they are, all their good qualities, all their bad qualities, all their weird qualities. They are all of those things too. You're more than your OCD. You're more than your anxiety. This is part of who you are. And when we share this, we share that little piece 
so that other people get to know further and fuller of who we are. That's the whole point of all this. Now, if that's you this week, that's tremendous. Now, if you decide to share with someone, a loved one about OCD, please tell me how it went. Please give me a call or shoot me an email or send me a message through uh, fearcastpodcast.com. Let me know how it went. Let me know both how it went well and how it went terrible. How the other person responded, what you felt like, what you feared it was going to be like, and then what it actually was like. Remember, anticipatory anxiety is a real thing. We oftentimes, in, we oftentimes before the event, think it's going to go awful and terrible and horrible, and usually speaking, it doesn't. It's not as bad as we think it is. Sometimes it goes terrible, but most of the time, it's uncomfortable and it goes just fine. So if that's you this week, if that's you who's going to share their story, please tell me. Um, and I would love to, if you're comfortable, share it here on the podcast because your story will help somebody else. And the more people who know that they know someone who has OCD, that's going to start to break down a stigma. That's going to start to break down stereotypes. And it's going to flesh it out for other people to say it's not just someone who does X, but it's my uncle. It's going to be my coworker. It's going to be my boss. It's going to be my son or daughter. So questions coming up. Heather asked through the website, Hi, love the Fearcast and find it very helpful. Please keep the episodes coming. My question concerns categories of OCD. In the books, articles, podcasts, etc. that I've come across concerning OCD, the experts usually talk about different categories. One of them is called harm OCD. But from what I've read, this concerns feelings that you might harm somebody else, like people who feel they might run somebody over or harm their child. I have obsessions and compulsions to do with other people harming me or harming my loved ones. Would this still be considered OCD? If so, why is there no category for this? Also, does ERP work in this case? Or is it dangerous to expose yourself to people you fear, like when you're on a walk, etc.? Because they might actually be dangerous. Thanks. Heather, this is a really good question. Thanks uh, Thanks for posing that question. So, as we've talked about previously... OCD, there isn't a, actually a diagnosis of harm OCD or pedophile OCD or uh, uh, any other aspect of it, but just obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, we use the colloquial terms harm OCD or POCD or existential OCD or scrupulosity or emetophobia. They're colloquial subtypes of OCD so that when you and I are talking to each other about our particular fears, we can use this shorthand to kind of give a clear, uh, kind of a quick and clear idea about what are some of the symptoms you're experiencing. Now, some of the subtypes do have their own eccentricities and own quirks and, and some of their own differences. However, when we're treating OCD, we're usually treating it all the same. We're treating it with cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure and response prevention, and uh, uh, likely some mindfulness and a couple other things that may be helpful. But we're not treating harm OCD, we're treating OCD. Now, to your question about the fear that other people might harm you. Now, if you were in my office, I'd be asking you questions about whether or not someone has actually harmed you 
or harmed one of your loved ones? Has, is there any trauma in your history? Has there ever been a time when you've been attacked or you've been, uh, have you been in a situation where you've been afraid that you are going to be harmed? Because some of this might be different or some of this could be different than someone who has just a genuine, outright, straight up OCD. If you had had a, a trauma history, one might say that this wouldn't then be OCD thoughts, but this might be a, a post-traumatic stress disorder, a PTSD response or a traumatic response, in which case the, tr the treatment is going to be different than that which we would do for just straight up OCD. And likely, if you, we were doing an assessment, uh, I would refer you out to a specialist in that area. Now I'm going to make the assumption, though, because you submitted this to the FearCast, that uh, that you that this is more of an OCD fear, and that I'm going to answer this as if there's not a trauma history. Further, if you were in my office and we were doing an assessment, um, I'd be asking you about your history with OCD. Have you ever had an experience with another subtype of OCD? Have you been through treatment with OCD? Um, what are some of the other obsessions and compulsions you have had historically? And also for this specific fear, how is this thought manifesting? I'm going to be looking out for how is this thought impacting your life? How often is this thought showing up? What is the degree and severity with which this thought shows up? Um, what is the impact on your life? What are some ways that your life is now limited because of this thought? Can you now not go out? Are you now um, avoiding uh, friends or loved ones? Are you avoiding going to work? Are you um, terrified? Are, are you requiring a friend to go with you wherever you go? So I'd not only be looking to see how this fits into, again, that OCD cycle, but also to see if maybe there is some panic disorder going on, maybe some agoraphobia taking place, because sometimes it could lead there. But I'd be asking a whole bunch of other questions. Now, again, I'm going to answer this question as if it's just straight up OCD. Now you said, would this still be considered OCD? Yeah, sure. Depending on how you're responding to it and how it is manifesting itself. Remember, OCD is a pattern in a series of unwanted intrusive thoughts, feelings, image, sensations, or urges that cause significant distress in your life that require you to take action to try to neutralize, quell, subdue, or avoid that fear. And all of this fear and the compulsions are causing uh, uh, problems in your social life, your emotional life, your occupational life, um, problems at school, those sort of things. So is it OCD? Very well could be. So is there a category for this? No, not really. We can call it harm OCD. I mean, that's, that seems to be pretty close. And ultimately, I think that um, the average therapist, I think myself included, would probably just call this harm OCD and a fear of others harming you. So does ERP work in this case, or is it dangerous? Well, this is a great question. So ERP could certainly work for this, because remember, exposure and response prevention being the, the main approach that we're going to use in treatment to uh, habituate to the feelings and the fears that you have. Um, with ERP, we're going to progressively get you closer and closer to the fear that you have while resisting anything that you would do to try to, res to, try to um, neutralize, get rid of, um, undermine, or otherwise get rid of the, uh, the discomfort. So that's the response that we have to our fear. So response prevention. We're trying to stop those compulsive behaviors. So could it work? It could. Now, one of the ways we might do this is to consider what are the areas of your life that are making you feel uncomfortable and anxious. 
and progressively start getting you to those places. So for example, if for whatever reason, you are afraid of going to the store alone for fear that someone might attack you there. Well, we might work up to having you go to the store with a friend. And maybe they're going to go in there with you first, and then you're going to come out. And you're going to do that until the anxiety comes down. And then perhaps we're going to have that friend go with you, but they're going to stay outside. And then you're going to go in the store for a minute and come out. And then you're going to go back in the store for two minutes and come out. And then for three minutes and so on until you can stay in there for a longer period of time and be more comfortable. And then we're going to work you up to being able to go to the store by yourself. Scripting might also be incredibly helpful in this. Scripting, again, is an imaginal exposure or a cognitive exposure in which you write a story about the worst fear actually happening to you. Now, the purpose of this is to make you feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to uh, spike that anxiety a little bit, but then to reread and reread and reread that story over and over and over again until you are ultimately completely bored with that story. So much so to the point that when you then have that unwanted intrusive thought when you're about to go somewhere, when you're out and about, you go, oh yeah, that dumb thought. I've had that thought a bazillion times before. Who cares? That would be the goal of that. It may just be you taking a walk around the block by yourself. I've certainly worked with folks who have had fears about uh, other people harming them. With our exposures, what we want to be thinking about, though, is what is, a, what is a reasonable goal? What do you want to get to? There, there are a couple of different uh, mindsets to this. One is, um, in a sense, I, I call extreme therapy, which is, which is needed to be a superhero doing extreme stuff. If you think about the show um, uh, Obsessed that was on uh, a bunch of years ago, they did some fairly extreme things in there. You'll hear people talk about at conferences, so, or you'll read about it on, on blogs and forums that uh, for contamination, they had to eat things off of toilet seats, or they had to lick toilet seats, or um, uh, there's a, a, a well-known therapist out there who, if you've seen him speak in public, he will probably take gum out of somebody's mouth and put it in their own and start chewing it. He calls it ABC gum, already been chewed gum. Now, for some people, that would be an extreme. For some people, that is going to be a, a great exposure for them. But that also may not be necessary in order for you to get back to your life. If you want to be the person who can do that, then fantastic, then we can do those things. But if your anxiety is impacting you and it's difficult to start going back to work, you might not be the sort of person who needs to do exposures where you're going, um, you know, out at three in the morning into the seediest part of town, um, you know, without a cell phone or without uh, anybody with you. That might actually genuinely be dangerous. But we might be thinking about progressively getting you to work by yourself. And that may ultimately be your goal. And that's going to be the other mindset of uh, some people doing treatment is not trying to be a superhero, but just trying to get your life back. So if you're to work with a therapist on this, um, uh, they would be able to help you work out what are some exposures you can do and to help evaluate more rationally and reasonably whether or not the exposure you're going to do is genuinely dangerous or your distortions or your, your distorted thinking is getting in the way and telling you that it is more dangerous than what the average person would do. A colleague of mine has what's called what he calls the 80-20 rule. You can think about it as what it would 80% of the people you know do. 80% of people, would they do X? That would be a reasonable goal to try to get to, to be in the, in the majority, the vast majority of what people would do. 
some people are comfortable going to the seediest part of parts of town, um, you know, at three in the morning. But I tend to think that's 20% of the people, maybe even less than that. You don't have to be that in order to get your life back. However, so ERP can work for this fear of other people harming you. However, it'd be helpful to work with a therapist on trying to uh, find out some, some exposures that would progressively help you get there. So that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking. If you have more questions about this or more detailed questions, feel free to uh, submit another question through the website. Um, I'd be happy to hear about more of the details and perhaps we can figure out some other exposures or talk about some other exposures that you could try to do. For now, think about what are some of the goals that you would like to have? What are some things that you would like to eventually get to or some things that you would like to get back in your life? Take that list and run it by a close friend, run it by a rational friend, a reasonable friend, and ask him, do they think that these things are dangerous? Do they think that they're excessively dangerous? And that might help you to get an idea about what are some things that you can do to progressively get back to that, or to progressively challenge yourself to do those things. All right, that's about enough of that. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the FearCast. Um, as always, uh, if you have any questions that you would like answered in a future episode, you can give me a call at 714-594-9281. You can also send me a message at FearCast Podcast by going over to that website and uh, uh, clicking on the submit uh, question link. Uh, you'll be able to find some information there and uh, uh, send me a message for a future episode. Uh, again, I will encourage everyone who's listening to go and uh, try to find a local OCD uh, gathering for OCD Week. Or, or if you feel uh, so, uh, so inclined to share your story or, or at the very least uh, share a little bit about what OCD is, maybe share a link on a, a, a social media or something to that effect. So if you liked the FearCast, I would encourage you to go find me on Facebook or you can find me on Instagram, FearCast Podcast. Uh, like me there, follow me there. Uh, periodically we'll post some things up there so uh, uh, you can find out more about when the show is posted then. So again, thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.